time for the Tech Mobility Show with Ken Chester. Ken is a veteran journalist who doesn't always color between the lines. So, here he is, the host with the electrified personality, Ken Chester. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. If you know, you know. This is the Tech Mobility Show, the program for mobility and technology news, information, and perspective. And I'm Ken Chester. Welcome. On the docket, a review of the Hyundai Ionic 6 EV for topic A. Big oil mulls a slippery future. I wish I had come up with that title, but I didn't. For topic B. And digitizing freight as a solution during topic C. To add your voice to the conversation, call or text the Tech Mobility Hotline, that number, 872-222-9793, or you can email the show, talk at techmobility.show, and that is talk at techmobility.show. And as always, I want to invite you to subscribe to our YouTube channel. We're trying to hit a number. We'd like to hit 1,000, and it's growing, but uh, we'd like it to grow a little faster. So if you'd be so kind to look up the Tech Mobility Show on YouTube, and subscribe to the channel, that would be awesome. Also, if you are still uh, on um, Twitter or that, you know, that uh, social media company no, formerly known as Twitter, we're there too, and we certainly would love if you would follow us there. Uh, and of course, we're everywhere else, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, you know, follow us, subscribe, like us, it helps. And not to mention, our two podcasts, uh, the Tech Mobility Podcast and Tech Mobility Topics. We'd love for you to download. We'd love for you to follow us there. We would love anywhere that you enjoy a podcast to follow us. That would be awesome. Thank you so very, very much. From the Tech Mobility News Desk, I want to talk about something I haven't talked about in a while, uh, particularly when it comes to cars. We've talked about autonomous trucks a lot. But we haven't really spent much time on autonomous cars, particularly since many of those companies have realized just how tough it is and how much more money it was going to require for them to even come up with a model that would be competitive. That didn't stop a number of automakers, including Tesla, but not alone Tesla, uh, to come up with stuff. It's level three and level three in terms of autonomy, and you've got the SAE levels from level zero to level four. Level three is the first level where this, the, it's recognized that it's the vehicle, not the driver, in control. Zero, one, and two, which is various degrees of limited automation, it's the driver. With level three and level four, this is partial automation where the car is in control. The driver is still responsible to take over in the event that the system encounters a problem. And that's my problem. But as it, this recent article in Automotive News, and I quote, Level 3 presents a complicated, mushy middle in automated driving. Here's why. Right now, most state laws in the United States of America say, if you're in an accident, and you're driving or you're sitting in the driver's seat or it's your car, guess what? You're liable. How does that work in a situation where it is the software that's driving and you are the auxiliary as opposed to the other way around? What if the software encounters a problem? Are you still liable? Well, as we know, very often legislation uh, lags technology. 
And this is definitely one of those cases. Let me pose a, let's, let's pose an example, shall we? Mercedes-Benz is coming out with something called Drive Pilot. You can't get it in the United States, and it's going to be offered on a limited basis in Germany. So here's the question, and people are asking, can motorists read a book while using Mercedes-Benz new Level 3 automated driving system? Text friends? Watch TV? You know what the answer is? Maybe. Maybe. That's messed up. An automated driving breakthrough set to reach public roads this year will likely motor into a thicket of legal complications and other hurdles. Again, Mercedes-Benz plans to sell vehicles equipped with DrivePilot, a level three automated system, and the first of its kind in the marketplace. For years, I've told you that Autopilot and these other co-pilot and these other systems were not fully autonomous. This system, on the other hand, is closer. It's not full autonomy. It is partial autonomy, but it is autonomy. And that is where the problem is. Such a system can maintain control and responsibility of a car in certain scenarios. However, the human driver must take control upon a system's request. And to be honest with you, honestly, that phrase right there, the human driver must take control upon the system's request makes the driver liable. They've done studies. They've done studies to where even with autopilot with Tesla and some of the other super crews where people were tricking the system thinking that it was full automation and getting lazy and not paying attention. How are you going to pay attention where this thing's running? Maybe you're on a 80-mile trip. And for the first 75 miles, it does fine. So you're reading a book or whatever you're doing, but suddenly it encounters a problem. How much time you got? According to the studies, it says it takes a human being 6.1 seconds to respond to being alerted by the system and need to take over. That scares me, particularly at highway speeds. At 60 miles an hour, you are covering the length of a football field roughly every three to four seconds. You are running at 88 feet a second at 60 miles an hour. Six seconds? <laughs> yeah, how much distance did you just cover? And if this thing's running into problems, and if it runs into a problem and it goes into fault mode, what does that even mean? Does it stop if you don't respond? What if you have a medical emergency? Now what? What does it do? And this is not certain because it said, okay, if the driver does not respond in a given amount of time, and it doesn't tell you how much time, by the way, then the vehicle will take appropriate action. But they're very unclear whether it's going to pull over to the side of the road and stop, stop in the lane it's in. Didn't say. And that could be really, really deadly, depending on where you're at and what's going on. Because they're still working this out. And Mercedes is being coy in some cases about some of this stuff. To be sure, Volvo and Audi tried to offer similar systems years ago. And by years ago, they mean about three or four years ago. But they gave up on them after finding they could not untangle the legal, regulatory, and safety quandaries that still accompany partial automation, which is level three. It ain't clear. It's not clear. 
If it's the if it's the software, then it's a product liability issue. If it's the driver, then it's a legal liability issue from an insurance standpoint. What will insurance companies even do because they don't like risk to begin with? So will they even insure a car like this? And they, I haven't heard from them on whether or not they would insure it and how would they assess the risk in order to determine a premium for a vehicle that has level three automation like this Mercedes-Benz. So there's that. Can you even afford the insurance? Can you even get insurance? And if the system has a problem, how much time you got? Under what circumstances will it have a problem? What are your options? What happens if you have a problem? What will the system do? So many questions. That is why automation for private vehicles is so hard. You got to figure out all this stuff. And a lot of the companies have pivoted to trucking. Because in the trucking world, it's a lot clearer in terms of what needs to happen. The roads traveled. There's a lot less variables, fewer variables that they need. This here, ton of variables, which is why even stuff like Super Cruise, Autopilot, and that uh, was rolled out gradually. And why even still, even though Autopilot's an unfortunate branding name, but Tesla still contends the driver must be prepared to take control. They are ultimately responsible. Would you buy a car like this right now? And are you prepared that you might end up holding the bag if something goes sideways? It's not, that's why they call it the mushy middle right now. We're not there yet. We don't have clear guidance uh, insurance-wise or legal-wise, and it could get really ugly if it's a combination of things. If partially your fault, partially the system's fault, okay? How does that play out in a courtroom? Particularly if somebody dies or gets killed and you get sued or you want to sue somebody. Don't know. Tesla says, it's your fault. You were ultimately responsible. You say it's Tesla's fault. The system was fully operational. You both might be right, and you both might be wrong. And that is the quandary right now. That is what we're going to find out uh, as they roll this out. They're not alone. You know, will other automakers get the nerve? Tesla's trying, but until you get some clarity, it's going to be a problem. Until you get some legal clarity, it's going to be a problem to even ensure the thing. Hyundai swings for the fences with its new EV sedan. You are listening to the Tech Mobility Show. Welcome to AONMeetings.com, your next video conferencing and webinar platform. Host your next virtual meeting or your paid webinar with registration and secure file sharing, break rooms, classrooms, and much more. With over five levels of security to know that your data is safe and secure and 100% browser-based, keep in touch with family and friends using the newest meeting platform. Go to aonmeetings.com to start your free seven-day trial. That's aonmeetings.com to start your seven-day free trial. Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Ken Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. 
Every week, I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out. Be sure to follow us. It's a whole new spin on Shark Week, don't it? That TV commercial was back from the 1990s, and we're trying to replicate, I guess, Jaws, where the new Tiburon with a two-door coupe acted like a shark coming up in the water towards the boat, which is why he said, wait till you see the red one. I thought it was funny. I thought it was cool. Different. A way to get your attention, which is what commercials are supposed to do. So I thought I'd share that with you. In the middle of the last decade, the Hyundai Group, which includes Hyundai, Kia, and Genesis brands, announced their commitment to EV development and manufacturing to the tune, get this, $85 billion across the three automotive nameplates. Starting in 2016, Hyundai introduced an electric hybrid, plug-in hybrid, and pure electric vehicles under the Ionic sub-brand. But in July 2022, the automaker ended production of the first Ionic Trio in exchange for the launch of the Ionic 5 crossover in 2021. Its design was previewed by the Hyundai 45 EV concept, which was presented at the Frankfurt Motor Show in September 2019. Both the concept car and the production version are inspired by the original Hyundai Pony and features the parametric pixel design that applied to the headlights, taillights, and wheels. The vehicle's clamshell hood spans the entire width to make a sleek look of the 20-inch aerodynamic wheels. The 45 describes both the 45th anniversary of the Pony Coupe and the 45-degree angles prominent on the sides of the concept. At the time, Hyundai called the design language sensuous sportiness and described the front and rear lights as a kinetic cube theme. The Ionic 5 was developed under the project code NE as the first vehicle to be based on the automaker's all-new Hyundai Electric Globular Modular Platform, better known as the eGMP platform. The dedicated electric vehicle architecture enables the vehicle to adopt a fully flat interior floor. The flat floor allows Hyundai engineers to develop a sliding front central console and Rear legroom space was achieved by making the front seats approximately 30% thinner than typical seats. I bet you didn't know that. The Ionic 6, a four-door fastback sedan based on the same platform, was launched in July of last year and is the second vehicle market, marketed under the Ionic electric vehicle sub-brand. This is topic A. 
Available in four levels, base power is generated by an electric motor that produces 149 horsepower and 258 foot-pounds of torque that is fed by a 53-kilowatt-hour battery pack. Mid-range models produce 225 horsepower and 258 pounds of torque, while the top-of-the-line model delivers 320 horsepower and 446 foot-pounds of torque. Both the mid-range and top-end models are connected to a 77.4-kilowatt-hour battery pack. Available in all-wheel drive, which features two electric motors, one on each axle. Driving range is between 240 to 361 miles, which translates into 4.5 miles per kilowatt hour to 4.7 miles per kilowatt hour. And I like using that measurement because I think it's a better and more realistic measurement of measuring um, energy performance. Much the same way you would look at miles per gallon out of a tank of gasoline, given 15, 20, 25 gallons of gas, this takes the total amount of kilowatt hours and finds how many miles per kilowatt hour can I get, which is why I use that and not the EPA's convoluted measurement, which I think makes no sense at all. Using a fast charger, and we're talking about a 350 kilowatt charger, the Ionic 6 can be charged up to 80% of range within 18 minutes. The Ionic 6 is also equipped with a battery heating system as standard equipment, and this is designed to precondition the battery during cold weather and to minimize performance degradation. Cargo capacity is 11.2 cubic feet in the back with another half a foot cubic foot of space in the front cargo area where the gasoline engine used to be, or it is now called the frunk. And no, I didn't make that one up. That's really a term. Here's what I liked about the vehicle. If the great American passenger car could ever make a comeback, it will be due to vehicles like the, Hi the Hyundai Ionic 6. Starting with a low step-in height and wide-opening doors, which is already pretty impressive for a vehicle that is designed to use a battery pack as a major part of the vehicle platform, the Ionic 6 is solidly built, fast, and responsive at speed, with precise handling and control. This one's a road hugger. That's fun to drive. A low firewall gives the driver a better outward view than comparable gasoline-powered sedans. With four drive modes and regenerative brake level control paddles that allow the driver to control the amount of regen the vehicle can capture, the driver can optimize the quality of the driving experience like never before. And for an even more intense experience, hey, select a sport mode. You're welcome. The Ionic 6 adds so very, very fast performance to its quiet, smooth, and fluid. Uh, operation. The presentation of displays, controls, and switchgear is generally clean, simple, and direct. As for occupant comfort, a flat cabin floor, plenty of rear seat legroom, and plenty of nooks and crannies for stuff makes the passenger cabin a very friendly place. Once you've experienced how the Ionic 6 uh, captures and manipulates energy, you will come to appreciate just how much power a traditional sedan wastes and its ability to move forward under its own power. Here's what I didn't like about the vehicle, and I don't know if it's me or the car, but I had a hard time with the radio and the media settings on the infotainment screen. I couldn't get the system to turn on, although I eventually got it to work, well, sort of, and I couldn't get it to link to my phone. In fact, I would rate this infotainment system as the worst Ever. It wasn't intuitive at all, and unlike some of the best systems I've experienced, and that includes other Hyundai models, the steering wheel mounted twist gear selection lever took some getting used to. I found the dashboard mounted side mirror adjustment switch switches to be awkward to use. 
There's no spare tire, and I'm sorry, the standard spare tire mobility kit offered in its place is a poor substitute full stop. The split folding rear seats no fold flat with the cargo area floor. And speaking of the cargo area, the small trunk opening limits the functionality of the available space. Here's the bottom line. After all of that, the Hyundai Ioniq 6 is the future. Over-the-air updates over the life of the vehicle will assure that the owner will be able to keep abreast of improvements in battery development, decreasing charging times, and vehicle range without needing to trade the vehicle or invest in expensive hardware improvements. And that goes for all sorts of entertainment, safety, anything. Your vehicle now can get it just sitting in your driveway without it ever having to go to the dealer. Hyundai's awesome warranty program also applies to the Ionic 6, which in my opinion will mitigate the lack of a spare tire somewhat. Expect too that as auto manufacturers scale up manufacturing of electric vehicles, EV prices will continue to fall. Welcome to the future. The base manufacturer suggested retail price for the 2023 Hyundai Ionic 6 sedan starts at $41,600 for the standard range SE, and up to $52,600 for the limited. The destination charges add $1,115. I love the car. I did. I love driving it. It cheats the air with a very aggressively um, sloped front and rear. It's an unmistakable design. You will not mistake this car for anything else. What does crude oil demand look like in the future? This is the Tech Mobility Show. Believe it or not, the Tech Mobility Show has a website. Yep. Combined with all the other ways you can interact with us, our website is a great place to start. Learn more about the host, find us in the news, and even check out where you can hear our programs across the country on the radio. I know, right? Our website is a great place to learn more about us and our programming. Go to techmobility.show for more information. Welcome to AONmeetings.com your next video conferencing and webinar platform. Host your next virtual meeting or your paid webinar with registration and secure file sharing, break rooms, classrooms, and much more. With over five levels of security to know that your data is safe and secure and 100% browser-based, keep in touch with family and friends using the newest meeting platform. Go to aonmeetings.com to start your free seven-day trial. That's aonmeetings.com to start your seven-day free trial. If you're just joining us, this is the Tech Mobility Show. Welcome to Topic B. Let me give you an, an imagine for a minute. The year is 2023. And imagine you're a big executive at a major oil company. With the growing alarm about climate change and the rise of a viable electric vehicle industry, both retail and commercial, how would you go about estimating just how much oil the world would need per day in 2050, some 27 years from now? that sounds too far out, let me, let me put this in better perspective for you. Like most major essential industries in the United States and around the world, the whole crude oil exploration, extraction, processing, transportation, delivery takes billions of dollars and years of lead time. Right now, these, these officials are looking 
at the world trying to figure out how much money do I need to spend in order to produce and meet the demand for oil 10 years from now, 15 years from now, 20 years from now, because it takes years to create a new field. You got to explore it, find it, strike oil, deduce if you can get it out at a cost you can afford, put in all the infrastructure. That alone, even if they found oil today, it could be five, 10 years before they could get the first drop out the field. And then they're looking at the life of the fields that they're using, which could be anywhere from 20 to 50 years. So it's not a futile exercise for these officials to be looking at this. But like any industry that has a vested interest in something, as you're looking at big oil, obviously the folks that have the most to gain or lose are the ones that are most conservative. And their take on it, depending on who you are, and I'll go down the list here just to give an example of the thinking in the industry, or maybe the not thinking of the industry, uh, or they're whistling past the graveyard. The Secretary General of OPEC said that the cartel believes global demand for oil will hit 110 million barrels a day by 2045. And that's as far out as OPEC currently projects. 110 million barrels of crude oil a day. ExxonMobil, major oil company in the United States, global reach, said that the chances of the world getting to net zero are low because of the drop in living standards it would cause. Put a pin in that. The company expects global oil demand to still be roughly 100 million barrels a day by 2050. So a difference of about what? 10 million barrels a day between OPEC and Exxon. And do you notice how they're both thinking that way? Uh, and their argument, ah, uh, you know, ah, uh, climate change, you know, it's a thing, but it's not going to be a big thing. EVs, ah, it's a passing fad. Ah, the rest of the world's going to need oil. Yeah, don't worry about it. We're good. But if they're wrong, based on what they believe, they will commit billions of dollars, thousands of jobs, change, make or break communities and some small countries based on the decisions, based on what they believe right now under reality. So if they're in denial about climate change, which they kind of are, if they're in denial about where we're going as a world and the need to make the change, if you're an investor right now in the oil industry, what are you thinking? The investors don't believe them, to be blunt with you. The investors think that it's still too early to call, that they don't necessarily agree with big oil's projections for that much consumption a day. And notice, a few minutes ago, notice Exxon didn't start with their number. They said, oh, my goodness, if we if oil consumption dropped, oh, it's going to ruin the standard of living for people. Not we need to make a change and the world is making a change and it's necessary to make a change. No, we're going to preserve and ride this horse as long as we can. Now, let me tell you the thinking of some of the European oil companies. Royal Dutch Shell. Their latest energy security report looks at two scenarios. Even with no new climate policies, they think demand for oil will fall by 10%. Well, I'm sorry, not 10%, 25% on trends it's already seeing in the market 
or if it gets really bad, close to 60% in an accelerated scenario, which climate regulations get tighter. Shell says, you know what? In the real world, legislatures are waking up, the world is waking up, and they're legislating a reduction in the use of carbon-based fuels, which means it's going to impact us and it's going to impact where we spend our money. BP, who owned, was a major investor in Prudhoe Bay, and they sold their major investment to somebody else. They've looked at two what-if scenarios in addition to the most aggressive net zero one. They estimate that oil production would decline by roughly 25% on trends that it's seeing. You know, I'm sorry, I got these mixed. Shell was 10%, BP was 25%. But in both cases, both European companies, they said, hey, this is real and it's gonna impact us and we need to look at it. Now to be fair, to be fair, Shell and BP kind of reversed themselves a little bit. They looked at it, but they're still drilling. They're still doing a thing, but at least they've got it out there that if it does come to pass, they're ready to do for, they're ready to do something about it. ExxonMobil, not so much. Any others, you know, you can list Conoco and the, the rest pretty much the same way. But honestly, does anybody really know? We know, here's what we do know. We know that cities, states, towns, countries are banning, not just banning the use of the burning of fossil fuels, but some have even gone far as coming to grips with single-use plastics, which to a point, the oil industry did mention that that could be an issue, that they said in developing countries, as the middle class swells, consumers are likely to spend more on packaged goods. That will send the demand for oil-based inputs to make virgin plastic soaring, barring better recycling rates or bans on single-use plastic. And if you talk to anybody, once you get past transportation and you want to find out what the, what the bane is, what the problem is, is what they call single-use plastic. Not the Tupperware that you're going to use for 15 years. It's the packaged goods that comes in the plastic, in your salad, in your yogurt, whatever you're using, in the pop bottle that you use once and you throw it away. That's the problem because so little of that gets recycled and it ends up somewhere everywhere. And the oil necessary to make those products are an issue. And that's going to continue to be a thing. So on to one end, yeah, we're going to make some progress relative to transportation around the world. But it's going, it could be offset by a continued use of single-use plastics, which is the next battleground, by the way, for people serious about climate change. We've got to take a look at how we package things and think, ask some hard questions. You know, is it the best thing for the planet? It's the best thing for us. Landfills are filling up. We got no place to put this stuff. So it goes a little bit deeper than even oil use. It's resource use. And maybe there's a better way of doing things. But yeah, the shareholders don't look convinced by arguments. Oil still has a long road ahead. And they're convinced that stock, and they're reflecting it in the stock prices of all of these. So we're going to see because they think the oil industry is in limbo. Digitizing Freight is one company's way to grow electric, autonomous, sustainable solutions. We are the Tech Mobility Show.
Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Ken Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Every week, I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out. Be sure to follow us. Believe it or not, the Tech Mobility Show has a website. Yep. Combined with all the other ways you can interact with us, our website is a great place to start. Learn more about the host, find us in the news, and even check out where you can hear our programs across the country on the radio. I know, right? Our website is a great place to learn more about us and our programming. Go to techmobility.show for more information. When it comes to technology, it seems that the commercial trucking industry is where it's at. From the development and active testing of autonomous trucking to the deployment of industrial-sized fuel cell electric solutions for Class 8 trucks, there's no shortage of technology being considered, tested, and deployed. One company is digitizing freight to grow electric, autonomous, sustainable solutions. This is Topic C. The company name is Enride. It's a Swedish company. I'm going to just name drop right quick. I'm just going to jump right into it. One of the companies they've been working with is GE Appliances. GE Appliances right now today is using Enride's electric and autonomous vehicles for short hauls around their plant and from plant to plant in Kentucky and Tennessee right now. And is gaining a lot of information about how their materials move, uh, how they're saving you know, avoiding CO2. They're learning a lot by these solutions. Enride's freight ecosystem uses AI, surprise, to optimize electric vehicle transportation, combining data from vehicles, trailers, drivers, and the charging infrastructure is helping the Swedish company make headway with U.S. companies because bluntly, it gets down to money. Save me money. Make me more efficient. Help me to conserve resources. Help me to be better. Help me to lower my cost of operation. You do that, you got my ear. Enride is there. That's what they're doing. The company's futuristic-looking equipment has become a tourist attraction in New York City recently when it parked an electric truck and a cabless autonomous electric transport vehicle on West 23rd Street in Chelsea, where passersby stopped to take pictures with the electric freight movers. Again, I'm sorry, 
you know, art imitates life. And in this case, life imitates art. I can't think of the movie. I wish I could. But in that movie, it showed autonomous electric freight movers on a highway in the movie a few years back. I can't think of the movie. It saved my life. But yeah, it was an issue. It was an issue and not one or two of them. And honestly, to be blunt with you, if and we've said this more than once, if you've been traveling in the southern part of the United States, particularly anywhere between Dallas and Phoenix, chances are you have encountered electric trucks, you have encountered autonomous trucks from a slew of companies, Enride just being one of them. They're testing this in real world. In fact, I think a couple of Thanksgivings ago, one of these major companies drove a, an autonomous truck across the country, across uh, Interstate 10, from California to New York, I believe, over Thanksgiving with minimal driver input. Now, to be sure, you know, they drove it in such a way where traffic was not an issue, but the fact that they did it, and this is not recent, is just seeing how far it has gone on the trucking side. Now, while some companies focus on the future transportation and they're taking a more measured approach, Enride told uh, the industry, uh, Fleet Owner Magazine in particular, that it's ready to move into the freight world into the future right now. And their thesis is that the market today is highly underutilized. You need digital capabilities to overcome that challenge to become a more utilized, high-performing ecosystem overall. And going electric and going autonomous demands digital capabilities. Because notice, they're not just pushing electric vehicles, because that's out there. They're not pushing just autonomous vehicles, because that's out there. They're pushing electric autonomous vehicles. And honestly, with where we're going in the world, at the end of the day, that's where we're going to be, and that's where we need to be. Enride's freight ecosystem is based on a grid, including vehicles, trailers, drivers, charging infrastructure, planned, optimized, and monitored using a platform they call the Saga platform. And that platform is the one that uses the AI to look at all aspects of freight transportation to help shippers shift to electric power and, hello, save time, save money. They're not doing this particularly because they are tree huggers, folks. They're doing it because it makes economic sense. We've talked about the shortage of drivers. We've talked about the shortage of available uh, trucks to move the freight. These are ways that existing companies can get that done at a cost that makes sense. Enride, the Enride grid simplifies long-distance freight logistics, removes industry inefficiencies, and adds, get this, smart freight transfers to prevent delays in goods caused by battery recharges or driver changes. Let me talk about that a little bit. Any over-the-road trucker will tell you how much time they've lost at a loading bay when their hours of service is in effect, they're in the truck, they're in the cab, time's running, but they're not making any money because they're either waiting to unload or they're waiting to get into so they can get loaded. They lose hours sometimes. And sometimes it messes them up where maybe they get it loaded and they're out of time. They cannot move legally. And that costs them money. If you're an owner operator, time is money. And if that rig ain't moving, you ain't earning. In this case, those efficiencies are removed. Something else too, because electrics have fewer moving parts, 
an owner operator will lament maintenance and lament truck breakdowns where that costs them money. And because they own a truck, it's all on them. If they can't get it fixed, if they can't get that truck moving wherever it stopped, that's money out their pocket. With the diagnostics built into this system and the fact you've got fewer moving parts, you don't have diesel fuel, there's a lot of parts you don't have to worry about, then your uptime is going to be greater, which means uptime, travel time. Travel time, I'm hauling freight. I'm hauling freight, I'm making money. It's that simple. The N-Ride system is responsible for all log logistical touch points, including software, charting infrastructure, and maintenance. Harry Chase, Senior Director of Central Materials at GE Appliances, told Fleet Owner Magazine lately, uh, recently that the data he's receiving from his EV operations with N-Ride are invaluable. And he gives an example. His company uses the CO2 calculators in Enride Saga to see emission benefits that are part of GE Appliances sustainability goals. And he's using other data to see what routes are working best and what needs adjustments. He says, we're driving for sustainability. And I think with the electric trucks, we get such a bang for our buck. These short routes have been our big CO2 emitters because they're stuck in traffic or idling a lot. So we're really seeing some better benefits from electric trucks. Gee, benefits, imagine that. But they're not alone. Another Enride customer in the United States is Oatly Group AB, the maker of non-dairy oat milk. And they're trying to shift their ground transport operations to be 100% sustainable, not in 20 years, but by the end of the decade, by 2029. And they just got five Enride electric trucks. And they... Enride manages their fleet, which operates out of factories in Ogden, Utah, and Millville, New Jersey. And Enride talks about working close with their, with their customers in order to understand their business better. The more they know, the more accurate they can be. The more accurate they can be, the more, the more money they can save them, the more efficient they can help them be. We've come to the end of our program. Be sure to join me right here again at the same time. This has been the Tech Mobility Show. The Tech Mobility Show is a copywritten production of Tech Mobility Productions Incorporated. Any rebroadcast, retransmission, or any other use is prohibited without the written consent of Tech Mobility Productions Incorporated. Welcome to AONMeetings.com, your next video conferencing and webinar platform. Host your next virtual meeting or your paid webinar with registration and secure file sharing, break rooms, classrooms, and much more. With over five levels of security to know that your data is safe and secure and 100% browser-based, keep in touch with family and friends using the newest meeting platform. Go to AONMeetings.com to start your free seven-day trial. That's AONMeetings.com to start your seven-day free trial. Did you know that you could still listen to past shows of Roadworthy Drive? Ken Chester here. With the change to the Tech Mobility Show, we've taken steps to maintain our vast library of past shows for your listening pleasure. Whether you want to listen to 1, 10, or 50 of our 1,000 shows, we got you covered. Be sure to visit roadworthydrive.buzzsprout.com or roadworthydrivemoment.buzzsprout.com and subscribe. There's no recurring commitment and you can opt out at any time. We set the price super low so that access to the shows is easy and carefree. Thank you so much for your support. Real facts, real opinions, real talk. Roadworthy Drive is now the Tech Mobility Show. I'm Ken Chester, your host. Every week, 
I delve into the current trends and topics that impact you when it comes to mobility and technology. Things are changing fast, and I cover these topics in a way that's easy to understand. By tuning into the Tech Mobility Show, you can keep informed about the latest happenings with self-driving vehicles, auto finance, electric airplanes, and more. That's the Tech Mobility Show, heard each week on this very fine radio station. days, everybody wants to be social, and we're no exception. Hi, I'm Ken Chester, host of the Tech Mobility Show. We get to share additional content that you won't find on the show. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and even TikTok. Yeah, we're there. You can find us at Tech Mobility Pod on Twitter and at the Tech Mobility Show everywhere else. Check us out. Be sure to follow us.